It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life every single week. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host and one of the financial advisors. Looking at me over the computer monitors with a bright smile, Josh Gregory, next to him, Kevin Corhorn. The stock market performance was strong in the first quarter but there are diverse opinions over what to expect for the rest of the year. So today we'll help you understand what the market has done so far this year and why we think it's done what it's done, as well as help you set expectations for the rest of the year and what kind of strategies you may want to approach. A serious topic for some serious guys. We're looking forward to unpacking that with you today. Folks, this is your show as always. Thank you for your patience in submitting questions. I'm hoping to catch up on a lot of them today and next week as well, but keep sending them. If you have a question, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question right there on the right, even catch up on previous episodes, anything that you've missed there. The blog's right there as well, folks. Uh, Or if you're driving or like to use that telephone thing, give us a call, 574-222-2000. Coming soon, texting. You can text questions in there as well. Right now, give us a call. Uh, Lastly, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. We are going to be putting more and more content out there. So if you haven't liked us yet, I'd like you if you like us. How about that? That's a good trade. So, all right, folks, the Trump effect or the Trump bump, I don't really care what catchy name you call it, um, but there's been a noticeable trend in the stock market since the election. You're probably tired of hearing about it, but uh, the first quarter has really continued where the fourth quarter left off. And by now, you've probably looked at some statements and you say, oh, that's nice. I like what I'm seeing in my investments. However, many of you are equally concerned about the rising stock prices. In fact, we're getting lots of questions from folks who feel like they're certain a market decline is ahead because the stock market's come up too quickly. So where can I hide? In fact, we're kicking off with a question from Dale uh, that pertains to that very thing. Here's his question. With the market as high as it is, I'm feeling like now is the right time to get out of the stock market. What do you guys think? Well, I think it's a great question, Dale. It's actually one that we've been uh, receiving quite often. And as Mike was kind of indicating, it seems like a lot of investors, they're, they're kind of cautiously optimistic right now. Things have been going well, and they worry a little bit that maybe it's gone too well. So, you know, we're going to we're going to unpack your question here, but before we do, I think it's good to maybe recap a little bit about what the markets have been doing, provide a little bit of context for uh, what we're talking about, you know, give give some uh, rates of return, the, the box scores if you will, yeah. on how the uh, the markets have done. If we we're going to rattle off some of the usual suspects that we we track pretty frequently, the S&P 500 is what we use to indicate uh, how the US stock market as a whole has done. We like that one better than the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was up 6.1%. In a quarter. One quarter. Yes. That would be an okay year. Yeah. Right? Just to give you a little bit of context there. Compare that to international, though. Uh, international investments were actually up 7.4%. And you hate international investments. I know you do because this is now the fourth year in a row that international has been beating the U.S. to start the year. But each of those last four 
international has wound up underperforming U.S. when we get to year end. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out this year. That's right. We often uh, look at large U.S. companies versus small U.S. companies as well. Smaller size companies were actually only up 2.5% in the first quarter, which is exactly the same rate of return as real estate investments as well. Mm -hmm. So those two tied the foot race. The real winner, though, for the first quarter, just huge growth, was emerging markets. This would be the the more up-and-coming economies around the globe, the China, India, Brazil, those types of countries, up 11.5% in one quarter. Yeah. So this is this is an area of your investment uh, portfolio that often represents a really small slice of the overall pie, but it it ought to be small mostly because it can move in both directions uh, pretty rapidly. And it has over the recent years. So I mean that's that's a nice report following some pretty bad news over the past couple of years with emerging markets. That's right. The most lackluster of all the investments though would be bonds. Yep. And, you know, we've been kind of predicting this for a decade now, I think. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so right. eventually we're going to be right. That's right. But now that interest rates have uh, been on the rise, that creates quite a headwind for bonds. Bonds were just barely positive, up less than 1%. And that's, you know, much of that driven by the fact that the Fed has changed its posture. They're now in a position where they're, uh, you know, broadcasting to the whole world hey, we're going to be raising interest rates pretty steadily. But bonds were up nonetheless. And when you annualize that, that's almost a 4% rate of return, which I'd be high-fiving at the end of the year if bonds did that. Gosh, I, I'm not expecting that. So, yeah, very interesting. So lots have, a lot of things have kind of propelled that. I mentioned the election. This is still, we're still on a post-election high um, in the market. Housing market is really strong. Dollars stabilized, oil stabilized. Companies are profitable. Companies are profitable. Um now there are big tensions, political tensions, um, and and um, I don't know, wartime tensions. That's that sort of stuff. That's real, but um, a lot of things seem to be going okay in the economy. Yeah, and Josh just gave the the box score for the first quarter, and I think well, let's give the box score that really really matters. And the box score for the stock market for the S and P five hundred is ten percent, and the time frame we're talking about is. 1925 till 2017. <laughs> and so the market has done 10%. And what would you expect from the market? You'd say uh, one to two out of every five years, you'd expect the market to be down. Um, but we are right now still in the middle of an amazing bull run that's been going since March of 2009. So we're 98 months into this uh, bull market. And it doesn't there don't seem to be many signs of it uh, slowing down at all. Well, let's take it right back to Dale's question because you you said a couple of things, Kevin. One, we're in we're in this very long bull market, ninety eight months, I think you said, but you also said we're in the middle of it, and I think that's Dale's question. I mean, let me let me repeat here, and we'll answer. Um, with the market being as high as it is, it's run up so much, especially for so long. I'm feeling like right now might be a good time to get out. What do you guys think? All right, let's. Let's hear it. Opinions flying. Well, it sounds to me like, you know, Dale is is maybe pursuing some sort of a market timing strategy, you know, where, where he's kind of nervous in the short term. He's, uh, you know, almost indicating that he'll be able to predict the peak of the market and he thinks we're there. And so therefore he needs to jump out. And there are some legitimate market timing um, 
uh, philosophies or approaches out there, but your gut is not one of them. Yeah. Right. So I, you know, if, if we were sitting face to face with Dale, I'd be kind of quizzing him on, well, what, what are your, um, your metrics that you're tracking? How are you getting indicators to determine where you think the market's going next? But I, I would always turn the attention right back. I, I don't think Kevin was saying earlier that, uh, you have a 90 year time horizon. However, you do have probably a longer time horizon than the next quarter or the next year. And making sure that your investments are always matching the time horizon is important. Yeah, which I would bring back to your financial plan. You need to, we're, we're going to say this every time we're in the studio. Your investing needs to match your overall financial plan. And if your financial plan is helping you reach goals that are still 20 years out, I know the market's high, Dale. I'll share my opinions here in just a minute. But if you've got that much time horizon, you wind up risking more by trying to play the short term and trying to get out of the market. That's right. If your time horizon is 20 years, then pick a 20-year investment or, or longer even. That's right. And that is the stock market. What it does in the short term, the next 20 months, is unpredictable. But you start stretching your time horizon to 20 years and it becomes... Uh, you, you have a whole lot more confidence in predicting where it's going to go. And going back to what Kevin shared, in the short term, the stock markets are very unpredictable. Very unpredictable. Unpredictable. <laughs> I'm trying to make a point there. Uh, however, over the long term, especially if your goals are long term, it, it's actually fairly predictable. And it's not certain. It's not guaranteed. Not that word. However, um, over the long term, you should expect, I don't know if I'd say 10, even though that's what history has done, but you should expect a very competitive rate of return over the long term. In the short term, though, we don't know what the next nine months will bring to, to the investments. Um, but I, I would hesitate to get too focused on what's going on in the short term. However, that said, many of you are looking for some specific direction. What should I do? The market is high. Uh, what adjustments should I make in my portfolio? We're going to continue to unpack that coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. We're so glad to have you with us today. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard, alongside Joshua Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, as well as First State Bank, for sponsoring the content of today's program. If you have a question or a comment or a gripe, a financial gripe, hey, I'd invite those too. Reach out to us, 574-222-2000 or wisemoneyradio.com. Okay, we're still unpacking what you're thinking about right now, and that is what in the world is going on with the stock market? We've had this big rally since the election. It's a little high, and we've had some questionable performance over the last couple of weeks. It's starting to get a little, people are getting a little nervous, and that invited Dale's question, which was, hey, with the market being as high as it is, I'm feeling like now is the right time to get out of the stock market. What do you guys think? And we're just starting to unpack that, guys. Uh, I shared or I, I withheld my opinions until now. So I'll, I'll launch into it. I agree with Kevin. And, and of course I agree that your investment strategy should match your long-term financial goal. However, in the short term, 
your expectations are incredibly important because your expectations drive your thinking and your thinking drives behavior. And you need to be careful of that. That's why we're talking about it. I do think the stock market's really high. I do. That doesn't make me think, oh, there's certainly a correction around the corner or a significant decline, but I think the market's high. We need the economy. You said really high. I do. That's right. So it's concerning to you in your mind? It is. Yeah. However, let me me further unpack. GDP really needs to, or, or the economy really needs to grow. And to achieve that, companies need to reach record high profits and then some. I think we can do it. However, no one knows for sure whether we will. And I and I think the reports about early or first quarter GDP are a little slower than what we'll really hope for for the entire year. But we really need corporate profits to grow to record highs and that momentum to continue. I look around the economy and there appears to be a lot of activity. We get to serve a lot of small businesses. Last year was their best year ever. First quarter, really on track to make now this year their best year ever. So I think that activity is going to be there, but the market is really high and we need that growth to, to um, come in from the economy Yeah, I, to, I, to support I think, those levels. And I, I would concur with what you're saying there, Mike. I think the idea, Dale, and at the risk of uh, being repetitive again, um, <laughs> really, if you want to outpace the impact of inflation and taxes, you're going to need some exposure to equities. Exactly. Because I would tell you, Dale, where are you going to go? If you get out of stocks, where are you going? If you go to cash, you're not going to earn anything. If you go into bonds and the economy does okay, interest rates are going to rise and bonds. Bonds are very risky right now. Yeah. So, and you can't, I mean, real estate, this is a seller's market. So So think about it, Dale. And and it's good to uh, know yourself. And Dale, I would do a little self-assessment and say, am I a saver or am I an investor? Most people. (coughs) That cough button. (laughs) (laughs) Most people need to be investors in order to reach their long-term financial goals. You need to outpace inflation. However, the, the expectations, the psychology of most people is that they're savers. They don't like to see a lot of big ups and downs. Okay, so I, I would throw one more category in there. Some people, they don't mean to be, but they naturally are actually behaving like speculators. Mm. Because, you know, it, to, to me, the definition of an investment, this isn't my definition, I actually, I... I recently uh, sat under the, the teaching of Ron Blue, who's a great author and financial advisor. And uh, he defined an investment as something that you buy with one of two expectations. You're either going to see some growth in it or get some sort of return, um, you know, interest or dividends, that sort of thing. And another part of the definition is that you can and will sell it when it has achieved its objective. Huh. Okay. That little caveat was one that I'd never heard injected into the definition before. And to, to not have that in there means that maybe you are way too loosey-goosey on the, the time horizon. You maybe aren't real clear on what the objective that you're trying to accomplish is, and you're just hoping that I'm buying something that's going to go up in value and that I'll be able to get out before it starts going down in value. Yeah, that's right. That is not investing. <laughs> right. 
That that is almost betting or gambling. Betting or gambling is a zero sum game. You think, well, I'm going to place my bet here, and I'm either going to win or lose. That's not investing. But if you turn it into what I think Dale's trying to do, and what a lot of people do, is well, what can I do in the short term to either win or protect? You might lose, and and in doing so, you're going against the grain of what investing is really all about. Yeah. So you have three categories: saver, investor, and speculator. And as I was saying earlier, most people are not able to save enough money to reach their financial goals. They just, they can't do it. So if you are doing some sort of calculation and you assign a return level to the types of investments that you want to have, and if you want to have very safe, stable, guaranteed investments, most folks are not, either don't make enough money to do that or aren't willing to make a big enough sacrifice in order to reach their goals as a saver. And as a speculator, it's very interesting. When I was in high school back in the 80s, I had a computer. It was an Atari 800. And there were just a few different programs on that. Joust. Yeah, Joust (laughs) and Joust. And I I was awesome at Joust. And then I had a word processing program, which was really cool because you didn't have to um, start over anytime you made a mistake with your typing huh. or use a typewriter, correcto yeah. type. And so, but you're sounding were, very old right now, yeah, by the way, right. looking through your readers. Well, I, I'm feeling really old, but one of the programs that it had was a program to pick lottery numbers. Oh, and wow. so it would, it would pick six random numbers. So I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a pencil and a piece of paper and I'm going to write down the six numbers that I think from 1 to 40. And then I'm going to hit the button and let the computer pick six numbers. And I want to see how many times I pick the same six numbers that the computer picks. And so... This is what they do for fun in Big Rapids, Michigan, <laughs> folks. Well, in the 80s. In the yeah. 80s. Listening to Bob Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture it. So... I wore my sunglasses at night. So anyway, so as, as I'm doing that, what I realized is that I, on, a, on, on a good try, I would get maybe two of the six numbers. And so I would tell you, Dale, on a good try, you're, you're, what you're saying is, hey, when should I get out of the stock market based upon how I feel or some some you know price to earnings ratio, this, that, or the other thing? That is... That's not the time to get out of the stock market based on what my feelings are or my emotions are. And so over 24 years of helping people with their financial planning, what we've seen, it's much more about investor behavior than it is about investment performance. And so you may be keyed in on the wrong thing here. Okay, so let me give you a behavior that you could go um, build into your financial life right now. And and, and reminder here... um, this is only one piece of your overall portfolio. We keep talking about the U.S. stock market. Is it too hot right now? Is it really overpriced or not? But that's just one piece of a diversified portfolio. You probably have international investments. You have maybe some exposure to the bond market, maybe real estate or precious metals. You have a lot of variety, different ingredients in that portfolio. Not all of them, as we were indicating in our first uh, segment, not all of them were up the same amount Not all of them are at the same uh, potentially overpriced level. 
So what you can do, one of the most disciplined approaches to um, your, your investment portfolio is to rebalance that portfolio periodically, mm-hmm. where you actually start <clears throat> peeling some of the gains off the winners and you intentionally buy the, lo- the losers because they're at a lower price right now. You're selling high, buying low. The, ad- the oldest adage in investing, yeah. buy low, sell high, right? So rebalancing your portfolio could be something that you can do proactively to take advantage of the market being hot in some areas and not so much in others. That seems like a simple discipline. We've talked about it before on the show, but it's part strategy. Diversification is a strategy. Set your investments up so they're not all going to move in the same direction. And in just a moment, we're going to unpack a little bit of our philosophy, our overall investing strategy at Corhorn Financial Group, which is all sitting on the chassis of diversification, but we take it to an nth degree. And as I promised earlier, we've got a lot more questions coming up. So um, that and much more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Good morning, folks. Thank you for listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike. I've got Josh and Kevin in the studio with me. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. So far, we've been discussing how to invest in this tricky stock market that surged since the election and is now making people nervous. If you've missed anything, check out the podcast on iTunes or at wisemoneyradio.com. I think Google Play in there as well. You can catch up on anything that you've missed. Uh, Submit a question at wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Lastly, like us on Facebook. We would like it if you did. And we're going to be pushing more and more content out that way. So stay connected and continue the conversation that way. Speaking of questions and all of that, we're still, we're kind of at the tail end of answering Dale's question that started the program. And uh, here's essentially what he said. With the stock market as high as it is, I'm thinking of selling. What do you guys think about that? And we've unpacked it to say, listen, yeah, the market is high. However, you should be investing towards your financial goals. And most likely, if those are long-term goals, you can't be too focused on the short term. I mean it. And I'd I'd be saying that even if the investments were down right now. Um, But it is high and it's making people nervous. And so we're just getting into into strategy, diversification, rebalance. And I thought it'd be good for us to unpack a little bit of our philosophy, our strategy over at Corhorn Financial Group to see if it helps you. Yeah, we don't spend a lot of time talking about this on the radio, do we? Maybe because we spend so much time talking about it in the office uh, with clients. but. Um, You know, I I would probably argue that the most important decisions that you can make from time to time with your investments is all about how you strike a balance between three different investment philosophies that exist out there. And, um, you know, in in our industry, um, I'm referring to three different methodologies or uh, philosophies on how you pick the mix of investments. We call it asset allocation, if you wanted a little uh, jargon uh, this morning. But um, the three different methodologies for, for picking the, um, the investments are, um, are, are known as strategic asset allocation, tactical asset allocation, and dynamic asset allocation. Yep. 
And our attitude is that actually you, you need to have all three of them represented in your portfolio in some fashion or another. At varying levels, varying degrees, depending on your age and so on, and, and experience. If you're just getting started, if you're listening to the show and we've spurred you to action and you're just starting to save, you need strategic all the way. Uh, if you're in your 40s, let's say, and you've built up, you're starting to build that nest egg, you probably need to add a second or maybe third. And if you're approaching retirement, yeah, I would go back to what Josh just said and certainly having having all three strategies for sure because of diversification. They're not all going to move in the same direction. That's right. We're talking about diversifying at a philosophical level. All three of them are different ways of deciding things like how much money should you have in the stock market versus the bond market? How much should be in real estate versus commodities? Do you go more U.S. or more international? Those are just decisions on the mix or the recipe that you're following, and they each also deal with risk differently. Mm-hmm. Okay, If we start with the first one, strategic asset allocation, this is the one that most of you have experience with because if you are contributing to a 401k at work or Uh, If you're working with a lot of uh, investment advisors in town, this is the exclusive way that they invest. We often refer to it as a buy and hold strategy, where the name of the game is all about diversification. Diversify, diversify, diversify. Don't have all your eggs in one basket. Yep. I actually learned that lesson the hard way recently. Are you going to tell that story? I didn't even remember it until just now. (laughs) I saw the light bulb go off. my, uh, My pride was rocked. I don't know if I told you, but uh, I went down to the chicken coop. We have chickens at at the farm where we live. Went down, collected two days' worth of eggs because I hadn't been down the day before. Loaded up. I mean, I was feeling kind of rich, actually. (laughs) And it was wet and rainy, and I slipped and fell. I went all the way down. (laughs) I don't think anybody saw it, but I was covered in mud and egg and everything. I, I oh, literally dear. had all my eggs in one bucket. And you paid for it. And I paid for it. And you got that's egg, right. You got so egg on your face. I, I now uh, get get the old adage, don't have all your eggs in one basket. That mm-hmm. is the number one thing that uh, investment advisors preach with this area. Just spread the risk around, right? Diversify and then let it ride. So you're always focused on the long term and not on the short term, which is important for Dale to hear. At, although for I sure. would tell you it's not... Just set it and forget it. As financial advisors, your certified financial planner should be analyzing each of the investments within that area to make sure they're still performing the right role and that their costs haven't changed, their philosophy hasn't changed, because you want to make sure that you've got the right investments in each of those categories. That's one of our jobs is to make sure that the investment we've selected to play that role is still doing what it's supposed to do. Sure. Based on your financial goals and your risk tolerance and time horizon. But I, I would circle back to what Joshua said earlier. A big component of strategic asset allocation is the rebalancing component. Yep. Because if we look and we say, hey, technology, if you just looked at the area of technology, it was up 12.5% in the first quarter. Well, if you have exposure to technology or funds that are heavy in technology, you want to make sure you're getting rebalanced. Same thing with your emerging market exposure. Yep. If the emerging markets were up 11 or 12%, 13% in the first quarter, you want to make sure that your rebalance is selling the things that are up and buying the things that are down. Which that sounds like crazy talk to a lot of people though, Sure. right? It, what most people are naturally going to want to do is 
go sell those losers that didn't do a whole lot for you and get more of that technology that was up so huge. And what they're doing is buying at a high point potentially, which it really is the exact opposite of what Dale is is asking about today. All right. So so what's the next strategy then? Well, the second one is a tactical approach to investing. And I often refer to this as the adjustable mix of investments. Rather than kind of setting the recipe and letting it go, as in the first option, this one, you're actually trying to foresee some of the changes in direction of the market or of specific uh, pockets of the the overall uh, investment world. And you're trying to make adjustments proactively. Yeah. Okay, kind of see the bend in the road, and I'm going to slow down and make the, the turn here. So I don't end up uh, in, in a ditch. But it's not. I wouldn't say that because it, it almost sounds like that could be market timing. It's really not because with tactical, you're just tilting. You're, you're not going to abandon a certain area. That strategy tactically shifts. That's that's where that term comes from. Just a slight shift. Oh, interest rates look to be on the rise. I'm going to slide a little bit of my money out of bonds and into stocks. I'm not going to get out of bonds. I'm just going to shift a little bit away from bonds and a little bit more into another area. That's right. Just slight adjustments. Absolutely. So you're kind of dialing up or dialing down the amount of risk based on what your outlook for the the economy or the the overall market is. The third uh, investment philosophy, though, we refer to as a dynamic approach. And it may sound kind of similar to the tactical that I just described because it does involve some some amount of market timing. You're adjusting the mix of investments based on what is trending positively. If there are some pockets of the investment world that are in a downward trend and they have a higher probability that they're going to keep on losing money as opposed to make money, I think we would all agree that that's bringing risk into your portfolio. And so what a dynamic investor does is tries to purge that out of the portfolio for a season and waits for things to get back back on track. So so both tactical and dynamic adapt where strategic doesn't, and it's just the level and why they adapt. So so tactical shifts a little bit, but doesn't ever abandon an area. Dynamic can, can abandon an area and really load up in technology, like Kevin mentioned, uh, or high yield bonds or something like that. Really the point of all of this, if I were to just put it in a nutshell, is to help avoid the action that Dale's trying to take right now, which is emotion. Having emotions drive, okay, what's going on in the short term? Therefore, what do I need to knee-jerk react and, and do? The Investing in those three strategies, it's already happening, but emotion's not driving it. These adjustments are taking place, but it's not your emotions that are driving it. Yeah, that's why we, we don't want you to bet the farm one direction or another, <laughs> right? Uh, your farm no analogies, I love it. I, I'm a YouTube farmer, my neighbor told me. Oh, that's funny. I've got lots of stories. But I, the, the point, so though, is you need to be balanced. Need to be balanced in your approaches to, to the stock market. And diversified. You won't always like it because some areas naturally are going to do better than others, but stick with it. That's the long-term approach. Kicking off the show, I mentioned that we would be catching up on some questions. Look like Looks like we might struggle with that. But coming up, we've got a great question from Justin about what to do next. He's got a lot of things going right in his financial life, but what should he do next? That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name's Mike Bernard alongside Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. If you've missed anything, gosh, we've covered a lot, and I'm sure it's what you're thinking about. What in the world should I be doing with my investments with where the market is right now? Go to wisemoneyradio.com and you can catch up on anything that you missed. The previous 10 episodes are right there and there's a link to really the whole bank. If you if you want to catch up on a show from a year ago, uh, you can hit that link and, and listen to it. It's on podcast as well on iTunes and Google Play. If you have a question, go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call 574-222-2000. Justin submitted a question. It's been weeks ago. So Justin, thanks for your patience. I replied to you right away and said, we'll get it. And I, and, and just encouraged you on, but uh, we're just now hitting it here. So thanks for your patience. Justin went to the website. He submitted this question on email, and I love the detail that he provided. So here it is. Just a little background. I'm just turning 26 years old, purchased my first home last year in South Bend. My wife and I married in February. Uh, we have a financial advisor. We also have life insurance and 401ks, and we've started an emergency fund. I've listened to your show for a little while now. One piece of advice among many things is that my wife and I are making a list of 50 things we'd <laughs> want to do before having kids. Go Way to go, Josh. That was That's some awesome. advice from Josh. Anyway, I have a two-part question. What is the biggest piece of financial advice you would give to a 26-year-old? And what's the biggest piece of life advice you'd give to a 26-year-old? I really like listening to their show and look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Thanks. Hey, this is the greatest question we've ever received. <laughs> because he, and Justin is my new favorite listener, actually. Awesome. awesome. I, I was walking a little taller coming in here today, actually. <laughs> he, he took some of the, uh, that advice. That's so just, awesome. Justin, honestly, Josh called me uh, in my office and said, are you, are you messing with me? Are you kidding me? Is this, is this real? I'm like, yeah, that's real. That's real. I so. texted my wife and I said, I want to meet Justin. That's, hey, there I you go. Compare lists with him. Hey, you guys can double date. There you go. Uh, Justin, I'll even let you hang out with my kids to provide some extra motivation (laughs) that you don't rush through your 50 things before kids list. Oh, there you go. Uh, That's awesome. So, so here's, here's what I would say, Justin, start unpacking, unpacking this. Here's my first thought. And I'm just going to give it to you raw here. My first thought is, uh, as I shared with you in the email, gosh, you've got a lot of things going for you. You're, you have started on the right track, which a lot of people fail to do. They often say, I wish I would have started earlier, and you've started. But my first thought is, do you have the right level of life insurance for how your life is going to transition in the next few years? Are you contributing pre-tax or to the Roth side of your 401k? You want to make sure you get that right. Are you saving the right amount into your 401k? And what's your goal for the emergency fund? Those are all financial planning questions. If you've listened to the show before, I'm just kind of curious about each of those, and I hope you're working with a certified financial planner. You say you've got an advisor, but someone who's, who's helping to coach you on each of those because you might also know that I believe you are in the most difficult of life transitions where you're newly married, got the house, you're launching in your career, and probably upcoming, depending on what your plans are, how the Lord blesses you, maybe kids and starting a family. So here's where I'd go back and give you the advice you're seeking, and I'd actually marry the financial advice and life advice. I'd want you to start incorporating a delayed spending plan along with your budget. 
because you need to get ready for this upcoming transition where you're setting money aside for that next vehicle. The improvement on a house, if this is the first home you've purchased, they require a lot of money. Maybe even starting to set money aside for the baby and maternity and all of that. And once you've put those pieces in place, boy, I would tell you to enjoy life. Once you have that financial peace, that confidence and clarity, yeah, I would enjoy being a 26-year-old newlywed. Yeah, I would keep my answer somewhat uh, Charlie Munger-esque. <laughs> and I would just say, Justin, live on one income. Ooh, love it. That's all I would... If, if, you, if that's all that you could do, all that you could focus on is just living on one income, I would live on one income. And likely the, the income that uh, post-children... Uh, is the person that's going to be in the workplace live on that income and and save, fully save the other one. Because if you learn the skill or the habit of living on less than you make and save the difference and you do that your whole life, you are bulletproof. You're not bombproof. There could still be some bad things that happen, but financially you're pretty much bulletproof because you've learned how to adjust your appetites and your behaviors and your desires and all these other things. And um, you realize that you don't need that second income. Wow, you guys just cleaned house on all this amazing advice. I was actually it, writing it. it all down. <laughs> like, hey, you wow, can listen why didn't to anybody it. ever tell me that? You know what? Listen to the show on iTunes. Catch it on all anything right. you missed. Okay, so I'll give one more uh, just to be different. I, I would encourage you to protect your ability to maintain unity in your marriage, especially in the area of finances. If you guys don't agree on a big decision, maybe even the small decisions, then don't do it. Let that be the, the governor. We're either in this 100% together. There, there's never going to be a decision that we look back and say, doggone it, Justin, you know, why'd you make that decision? And your wife wasn't on board. And or now you, yeah, other, other way around as well. Um, if you can't explain an idea well enough to each other to convince each other that it's, it makes sense, then don't do it. And if you can explain it well enough and the other spouse doesn't agree, then don't do it. Maintain I, unity. I, I love that advice, Josh, because so often, you know, there's only one person in a spousal unit that is really in charge of tracking the details of the budget. And it's the person who maybe likes those numbers or um, is better with technology, something like that. But because of that, a lot of couples just have one person that's in charge of finances and the other one doesn't even think about it. And um, it takes an intentional effort to get on the same page, communicate, and um, do your finances together, which is a very intimate thing. And so I, I love that advice, Josh. Good yeah, but, job. Doing, but getting your finances to work together that allows for, and it facilitates intimacy. That's right. So it's very important. Yeah. Great question, Justin. Thanks for listening. And the life um, advice though. Are we going to do that one? I, I, th I thought that what that was. No, I, so mine, my financial advice was live on one income. Okay. My life advice. Get a big truck. Get a <laughs> big some truck. chickens. Yes. Is that <laughs> Don't put all your yes. eggs in one basket. <laughs> yeah. The oaks on you. So listen, I would say uh, for life advice, I would say, Justin, for you and your wife, discover your purpose. Uh, that's so, good. So why are you here? You're here in South Bend, right? Why are you here? And I would, I would go until I discovered what my purpose was. And I think um, 
And I would give you another little piece here. This is a freebie. Um, I tell my kids about happiness. I say, hey, if you want to be happy, serve other people. Mm -hmm. So when I think of the greatest leader that ever lived, that would be Jesus. And he gave his life away. And so I look at that and I say, if you follow that model, you have a, a, a chance at tr- true lasting happiness and joy. So that's my life advice. That's very good. We're going to sneak another question in here on the other end of the spectrum. Dave from South Bend. Here's what he asked. I'm going to be retiring in a couple of months. So I met with the Social Security office to get signed up for Medicare. And I'll be adding a supplement to help replace my health insurance through work. That got me thinking about life insurance, though. The life insurance I have through work. Should I buy life insurance when I retire to replace what I had to stop? Quick answer, Josh. What do you got? I, I think I'd answer with a question, and that is, do you still need life insurance at all? And that's, to me, the fundamental question, because we often think of retirement as kind of a, a finish line, a, a point where you get to in life, where you've built up the right amount of assets, you've paid down your debt, you've been checking goals off your list. And that often, for many people, defines the point where they no longer need life insurance or don't need as much life insurance. So the fact that you're leaving work If you can prove to yourself that you don't need it, then great. If you do still need it, now you need to either shop for a new policy that can carry you a little ways into retirement or look at whether or not your policy is portable, that you can take it with you, make it permanent, that sort of thing. Yeah, and Dave, I'd say when you're making this determination, do I still have a life insurance need or not? This is a great time to say, what kind of insurance do I need? Sounds like you're going to get a Medicare supplement, but this would be a good time to look and say, do I have long-term care? Do I need long-term care? Should I say yes or no to that? And um, I would revisit the my home and auto insurance, make sure I've got an umbrella policy and all those things in place. A financial plan and working with a certified financial planner can help you unpack all of that. Thanks for the question, both, uh, both of you. All right, folks. Next week is one of my favorite shows. It's our tax season highlight. So a lot more. Make sure you tune in. Thanks for listening today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, and myself, the rest of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.